All right, everyone. Today in the show, we have Rob Hewley. Rob is a nice fella from Canada who you might know from Traveling Circus, Glacier Days, or one of his many other projects. Rob is going to kick off the fall stretch of the show, so thank you guys for being patient while we get episodes recorded and out to all of you during this busy work season. So, as always, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Follow us on Instagram at TwoPlankerPod to stay up to date on everything going on. And if you want to see someone specific on the show, just send us a DM and we'll try to make it happen. That is all for the intro. Welcome back. Hope you guys like it. So we are here with Rob Hewley to kick off the fall portion of this show. So Rob, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, you're welcome, Ethan. It's nice to meet you, and thanks for thanks for having and a Canadian boy on. Yes, yes, you're one of the few Canadian guests I've had on so far. I think about 25% of our viewers are Canadian, so uh, you'll really be speaking to a strong subsection of of our fans. All right, on that's that's great. Hopefully, I don't say anything I regret or uh, that offends anybody. But your discretion is advised, <laughs> yes, sir. So. The reason I hit you up is because I feel like out of all the, the traveling circus characters and all the creative skiers out there, uh, I know the least about you. And I don't know if that's by design that you like to, you know, you like to keep your personal life uh, closed off from your skiing or, or what or what it is. I told you I had some trouble finding uh, your interviews before this, but let's get to know a bit more about you. So you're from Canada. Where in Canada are you from? Um, I live in a little town. Well, I live in the foothills of the Rockies kind of thing in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and uh, the, clo- the closest town we're near, it's called Bragg Creek. And it's about 45 minutes southwest of Calgary. So pretty close to Calgary. That's, that's where I grew up and was born and raised. And then uh, I, I grew up skiing at a little ski hill in BC called Fernie. And uh, every every weekend as a kid I'd drive out to Fernie with my parents and we'd we'd go out and ski for the weekend and uh it's Fernie's a rad hill you should check it out if you've never been but on the way on the way to Fernie you drive like south through right parallel to the foothills of the Rocky Mountains sort of thing and then you you hit southern Alberta and you start driving west and that's how you get to Fernie so my my spot in the foothills here is sort of halfway between Calgary and Fernie, and uh, it's just country that I always drove through as a kid and fell in love with, and uh, and kind of always knew that I wanted to live out this way. So here I am now, and it's it's uh, pretty relaxing and just beautiful living out here. That's awesome, man. So were you always um, one sport athlete? Were you always skiing, or were you? Were you a hockey player, like uh, like the stereotype would be? I mean, yeah, I think I think Canadian kids have to make that choice between their the the two main winter sports here, which are hockey and skiing. And I definitely was like loved hockey as a kid and followed it a lot. But then you know, uh, ski once you throw on a pair of skis, that kind of starts to take over. And I I knew from probably probably when I was oh I don't know maybe in elementary school that that's really the path I wanted to take was uh, skiing, skiing as much as I could, you know, and it's, I, I, some kids balance both, but uh, for me, it was definitely like a clear choice that skiing was the route I wanted to go. And it obviously helped that my parents sort of 
they, they didn't push me into that, but they were like super supportive of getting us to the hill and, and making it happen when we were young. I have, I have a younger brother as well that's a skier too. His name is Jay. And uh, yeah, my parents were just great at sort of channel, channeling us in that direction and uh, making skiing fun for us. You know, like it wasn't a, a competitive push by any means. I kind of got into the competitive side of things years down the road, but I, I think as a parent, if you can push your kid in a, a positive direction with not a lot of pressure sort of thing, just by getting them out there and making whatever sport it is accessible to them, that's like a good path for sure as a, as a parent. <laughs> oh yeah. So what was your, like, um, what was your slant on the whole thing? Were you all Malin? Were you moguls, trees, racing, freestyle? Like, how did you approach the whole thing? Uh, honestly, a bit of everything over the years. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, Fernie there, it's it's like a substantial mountain. It's it, They have some really great all-mountain terrain. They get a lot of snow throughout the winter, and uh, it's a lot of, lot of, like, steep tree skiing and feature, like, Kind of rock features and outcrops and like little couloirs and stuff like that up in the in the alpine and uh that that sort of shaped my skiing i would say growing up skiing there just because you're, you're you had everything at your fingertips that you wanted to ski they they had a sick terrain park back then so you could go if it wasn't snowing you could go do laps through the park and when the snow would come in you'd you'd usually leave leave the park and go shred around the mountain so I feel like that built a really solid foundation for me to I don't know learn how to ski and you know I you're always getting pressure to go on a ski racing program or a I don't know I usually it was ski racing for the young kids when I was growing up and you, they were like when are you going to start racing when are you going to start racing all the race coaches are checking out all the kids ripping around the hill and I was like ah oh, I, I don't want to I don't want to bash gates, you know, I just want to cruise around the hill with my friends. And so a few of my friends were in, a, a they were part of a ski school. It was a program that was run through the ski school in Fernie and it was called Extreme Kids Club. And it was a free, it was like one of the first free ride programs that the mountains in BC had. So I signed up for that. And I think it was one day a weekend sort of thing. And we, we had a couple coaches and a, a group of guys and we'd all just roll around the hill together, like hitting jumps and dropping cliffs and just tearing the mountain apart. You know, like the, it, I think it was scary for all the, all the parents when they heard us buzzing down behind them kind of thing. <laughs> they were definitely looking over their shoulders and stuff, making sure they didn't get overtaken by the mob. But that, that kind of instilled a love for still what I love today. And that's like the social aspect of skiing and, and, riding with people that you connect with and are friends with and that's a huge side of it you know especially when you're riding the resort and you're you spend half your time on the chairlift anyways so you gotta have some good jokes to tell and good conversations on the chair you know yeah and I, so i gotta be honest i i've never heard of fernie before and at this point i still have to look up a canadian map uh to know where alberta is but um yeah dude i i'm pretty i'm in the dark about where connecticut is anyway i know it's like eastern u.s kind of thing but yeah is that is it you're not on the coast in connecticut are you no i am close so connecticut is close to vermont i'm assuming like that's probably the best okay. frame of reference for you between new york and uh between new york city and boston is really what defines our identity all oh, right on that that beautiful country in there i'm sure i think a lot like you actually as well yeah so i'm looking at a 
trail map of Fernie right now. What is your favorite bowl for any Fernie, any Fernie riders out there? Oh man. Yeah. It's the whole hill is like under this gigantic head wall that sort of like guards the whole mountain. Well, it actually doesn't guard the mountain. It poses a pretty big hazard because when the wind blows and the snow comes in that head wall fills up with snow and like big cornices on the ridge up top. So the ski patrollers in Fernie actually have their hands super full and do a really good job of controlling that head wall that, that sort of is above all those big alpine bowls. And uh, that, you know, when the, after a big snowstorm and the sun comes out, the patrol get up in the helicopter and they're tossing bombs out of the heli and getting all these cornices to go so that, so that they can open these bowls up. But um, originally that hill started, if you're looking at the map, it started on what would be the east side of the map. And uh, that was kind of the original area was, was lizard bowl sort of thing. If you're seeing lizard bowl on that map, that was the original ski hill in Fernie. So everything else you could like boot pack up a couloir and drop into a whole nother bowl. And that was the backcountry. And uh, so throughout the years, the hills expanded sort of thing into four or five more bowls, or I think in total, there's maybe five bowls there. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously the further out you go, you're sort of rewarded with more fresh snow typically is how it goes just with the way patrol opens things up after a big dump you know it sort of trickles its way out through the resort uh, into the bowls sort of thing is how how the hill opens i shouldn't i shouldn't dive into too many hill secrets and give them away but you know you gotta you gotta get on the the patrol radio on on the powder days and uh tune in and see what they're going to open in the next 30 minutes kind of thing and get yourself over there for when the rope drops for for the fresh line sort of thing so yeah that's I mean all the bowls are are amazing the there's sort of a the old side which is that original lizard bowl area I was telling you about and then so we call it the old side and then the new side and the new side is uh timber bowl and curry bowl and uh those bowls are really fun they're like super playful to ski and a lot of big shoots and couloirs and and you can actually access that big head wall that you can ski down into lizard bowl off the polar peak chair and that's uh i i don't think patrol likes it when people go out there but you sort of sneak up and wait for for after hours till the hill closes and you ski it at, at 4 30 kind of thing and you can ride all these wicked lines that you look at all day while you're skiing so that i mean yeah that it's just a really fun hill in general and you kind of have to ski it as things open after a snowstorm. So I, I hope that kind of answers your question. I mean, favorite run, uh, I don't know. There's so many to choose from. The, there's three big ones that come down from between Lizard Bowl and, and Curry Bowl. And they're, we call them the big three, Stag's Leap, Skydive and Decline. And if you catch one of those fresh, it's just like, I don't know, what would it be in feet? Like 6,000 feet probably of, of just like untouched tree pow skiing and it's i don't know it's great <laughs> that's incredible yeah and so it always surprises me when you know you guys come in from these like huge mountains um that you would ever get into park you know because some of the best park skiers can come from the east coast where you know you just you're hitting rails because there's literally nothing else to do so how did you end up riding in the park when you have this like big huge mountain with all this stuff to do like what what brought you in and you're like yeah let's hit let's hit rails let's uh Let's beat up our skis instead of just, you know, riding powder and riding trees all day. I, I mean, that's a really good question. I think what kind of 
channeled me towards park skiing and and rails in general actually i i found that i really found a little niche in that and kind of excelled as as a young kid and uh i think what drew me into that was watching ski movies you know like <laughs> i would always fast forward through the the big mountain parts you know i i was like ah, this is dumb I, I can go do that that's whatever like i can go do that and the the I was so intrigued by the park skiing and the guys hitting, hitting the big park jumps and and especially the street skiing in the early days and sliding down handrails in the city. I just thought that was just unbelievable. So I think my the first ski movie I ever owned was a movie called Session Twelve Forty Two, and it was a poor boys movie and uh, it was I think sponsored by Oakley, and I just remember. Uh, a guy by the name of Anthony Boronowski. Um, he had a part in that movie that was just this mix of him hitting backcountry jumps and sliding street rails and uh, hitting park booters. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world and really, really wanted to, you know, take my skiing in that direction. So you start practicing, obviously. And like you said, if you grow up on the East Coast, you have you know, a rope toe park or a small, small chairlift that you can just lap, 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 repeat, repeat, repeat. And that's why the East Coast park skiers get so good, I think, is because they learn in really challenging conditions, but it's just that repetition, you know. So we would get as much repetition in as we could with a long chairlift lap through the park. But the cool thing was you got to ski like a line down to the park, drop a few clips, clips and then ski through the park and, and then ski out afterwards. Sorry, she's uh, she's just uh, a bit of a hyperactive dog. She's a little Australian Shepherd, so she just has energy for days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. What like got me into the park was watching watching ski movies, and then so I'd ski in Fernie on the weekends, and they had a pretty sweet park there for a lot of years. But eventually, in I think it was maybe around 2010, yeah, like 10, 12 years ago, 2010, I'd say. Um, the resorts to the Canadian Rockies, which Fernie is a part of, they had a big lawsuit filed against them. And somebody overshot a tabletop jump in Quebec at Tremblant, I think it was, and uh, tried to sue the ski hill for the damages that they incurred. I don't know if they, I don't know if it was fatal or if it was a, a neck or back injury or something like that, but they were filing a lawsuit against resorts to the Canadian Rockies. So the five hills that fell under that banner sort of thing they in 2010 or 2011 they had to pull all their parks off the hill so that was like pretty devastating for ski like kids growing up skiing in western canada to have those parks taken away but we were really lucky anybody that was close to calgary we have a little ski hill in calgary it's uh, where the olympics were held in 1988 and it's called Canada Olympic Park. And at the COP, they were open from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day sort of thing. So you could get the bus home from school and whiz over to COP and, and ski for four hours in the evening kind of thing after you, after you finish school for the day. So that became a thing that was a big part of my life was just going skiing at COP every day after school sort of thing. And that kind of gave me that east coast repetition right because it, it's a small hill in a river valley right so you, there's a lot of big mountains in the rockies but as soon as you creep out into the canadian prairies it's all the ski hills are in the river valleys kind of thing so they're these short like 200 300 vertical feet 
hills sort of thing and that's definitely where you get the repetition through the park oh sorry my my landline's ringing here i just gotta i gotta answer just one sec hello hey mom hey sorry ethan i my i have a i don't have service out here so i'm on a on a landline so i usually try and answer when it rings <laughs> no problem honestly that was it was pretty exciting to see a landline after all this time i really haven't seen yeah, yeah. Like quite a while like really landline i also have uh an answering machine which is quite amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so so uh you're so at this point in your life you said you were getting into park skiing when did you guys start like filming stuff and and posting that online because what i know you from is like really all your video parts and like your longer projects that you've done well th thanks for watching all those i appreciate it that that means a lot anybody who watches i i like you know i want to have a conversation with and hear hear what they have to say about it and uh yeah i, I definitely appreciate the people watching stuff out there um that i guess the way that I got into video is the same reason I got into park skiing just because you know when you aspire to be like the guys you're seeing in the movies sort of thing so you you want to get a camera and go out there and start filming with your friends sort of thing so I think that's how it starts for for a lot of kids I mean obviously nowadays the cameras are a lot more accessible you know you can buy a GoPro for 500 bucks and and follow cam your friends around and get some pretty amazing footage you know but uh but i the first camera that ever came into my life it was it was made by sony and it was called a vx 2000 and it was kind of they've actually made a bit of a resurgence in uh because of skateboarding so that was that was the first camera i ever bought with i i think the money you know came from saving up money from my grandma at christmas for over the years kind of and I put that towards a, a video camera so that we could all kind of make a video together as a group of friends sort of thing so that was always such a fun dynamic to shoot in because you're always passing off the camera and everybody's taking turns like doing their three or four hits on a rail and then you swap out filmers and it was a, a really cool way to like sort of learn the ropes and how ski filming works sort of thing because it, it, quite often there like the dynamic is there's a, a guy you know I guess nowadays there's more of a guy who is the filmer sort of thing and with traveling circus that was that started with uh Shane McFalls and that was a really cool dynamic but and then moved on to Jake Strassman who's done a good job in the years since but um I think getting into it with your friends is just a a cool dynamic and you're it's this really cooperative experience to put together a video because everybody's always passing the camera off and you're taking turns filming and skiing and stuff like that and I think I feel like when we started making videos it was we didn't really have anywhere for them to go like new schoolers was just kind of becoming a thing so you could you could post clips on there I think but edits were like just kind of becoming a bit more commonplace sort of thing and and it was a really cool time to grow up and be able to start to like have all that exposure to ski content from around North America and around the world sort of thing with that with the internet becoming like a place where all this video footage could live sort of thing because before that like 
you know, the only content we were getting was was sort of in the fall every year in the form of a, a VHS cassette tape that you'd put in the VCR and put on your TV and, and watch on repeat over and over again till it wore out sort of thing. And then, you know, obviously they went to DVDs, but yeah, when we first started making making little videos, it was like sort of just when you could start uploading them onto the internet. So I've kind of seen the progression of that internet ski phenomenon become a thing, I would say in my, in my years in the sport sort of thing. Yeah. And so did you get recognized in skiing like through a competitive route or were you always a film park guy? Uh, I, I always like to do a little bit of both. I, I think throughout high school, I, and well, like a little bit beyond high school, I skied half pipe competitively. So I, I was kind of following the, the half pipe circuit around North America sort of thing and skiing in sort of world cup events and uh, the do tour and stuff like that. I never, never did X games. I, I wish I'd got the chance to do that in my life. That would have been a, definitely a goal, but um, yeah, I, I was sort of the, just the structure of competitive skiing. I feel like is it, there is definitely structure to it, you know? And I think after you do enough years of that, you sort of, it, gets a little bit old and that structure feels really confining in a way because if you like if you want to become an olympic halfpipe skier you have to start at a super grassroots level um at a ski hill that has a halfpipe you know to begin with which are few and far between these days but it's it's really limiting in that structural sense right because you have to keep moving your way up this ladder and i think that like it's nice to to climb like that and you feel accomplishment as you go sort of thing but i i think it's called free skiing for a reason and it's because you're you're sort of meant to take your own path and and sort of take your own direction just in terms of personal like creativity and style and and if you follow what you like to do sort of in your heart I think that's like a good path to take, but the, that not to say that the competitive path isn't that for some people, but, but um, I think, I think what's nice about the industry these days is there's a lot of routes for people to go, you know, you, you can, what, like when I was young, the cool thing was to be an, a super versatile all round skier. So I think that's what always drove me was, striving to be the best all-round skier I could, you know? So you you obviously focus on smaller niches, whether it be half-pipe skiing or sliding rails in the city or skiing in the terrain park or competing on the Freeride World Tour, you know? But the guys I would watch in the video parts when I was young, they could do it all, you know? Like they'd rip a line and then slide a handrail and then hit a backcountry jump and, and like spin both ways. And that was, that was like the cool thing in my books was to be as well-rounded as I could be. So I feel like my path from when I started skiing up until being a 30 year old in 2020, what are we? 2021 right now, 2022, I don't know, 2021. I've, yeah, like I've kind of gone through all those paces and now I feel like I'm at this point where I'm probably the most well-rounded skier I could be, which is, I don't know that's a cool accomplishment to have in maybe what would be kind of like the latter part of my ski career I would say so that's a big goal that I feel like I've accomplished over the years is just like 
doing a bit of everything and having my skiing like reflect the fact that I have the ability to do that. And I, yeah, I, I think that if you can do a little bit of everything, whether it's moguls or, you know, big mountain skiing, like, or ski racing, even, you know, that everything that you do with a pair of skis on your feet is going to bring you a new skill and, and lead you to be sort of a, a better skier in my opinion anyways. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's interesting that you talk about being like a well-rounded skier. Cause when I was doing my research, I found the twig interview that you did for new schoolers or maybe it was uh, Matt Sklar. I'm not, I'm not sure who wrote it, but um, it started off with saying that you, you've uh, done half pipe skiing. And that was super interesting to me. Cause I feel like that's not, a realm of skiing that lends itself to like a ton of creativity and a ton of freedom, you know? So is that like something that drove you out of it or were you just, you just wanted to be well-rounded. So like, yeah, half pipes really structured, but you know, that's part of your repertoire of everything you can do. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It is, it is definitely super structured, you know, in terms of that you don't really see half pipe in ski videos these days, unless it's a a guy that's kind of, skiing the half pipe stylishly or it's a really extreme trick like a you know I just saw some guy did a triple cork in the half pipe a couple months ago at hood and shout out Hunter Hess yeah yeah that was crazy I mean that I thought that was really really like an amazing moment in skiing for sure but I got a bigger kick out of the did you read all the Instagram comments on it the Instagram comments were just gold it was there was so much like if you if you haven't seen it go check out Hunter Huss on Instagram and look for that post to him doing a triple cork in the half pipe at hood and you'll find just this barrage of amazing comments from you know skiers that I looked up to when I was younger sort of thing and those guys are even chiming in so it's cool to see that you know the industry is still watching half pipe skiing for sure because I I think it's you see it's maybe not the most creative place to ski but just like the technical prowess you need to to ski a half pipe run these days is so insane and that's actually I would say what almost pushed me away from it a little bit was it half pipe skiing just got to a point where it was it's and now it's fully blown that out of the water because I probably stopped competing skiing half pipe about seven or eight years ago now but and now it's on this whole nother level but um just the like technicality you needed to have a run that would would place well in a competition sort of thing it was crazy you know you had to do two or three back-to-back double corks sort of thing like and when I was kind of I would say at the height of my half pipe skiing the double cork was just becoming a thing like Peter Olenek had just done the first I think he did a double flat spin 900 sort of thing so that was like the pinnacle of half pipe skiing you know and I think that the next year after Peter Olenek did that, um, I had one of my best contest results in Whistler at uh, the World Ski and Snowboard Invitational. It, it was called WSI, and it was kind of like a big year-end spring party contest sort of thing. It was like the best, the best time. It was so fun to go ski there, and that's like where they used to do the Orage Masters, which was a really fun kind of like dress up ski contests with all the all the brands would have a team that would come out and represent them so that I skiing half pipe actually led me into that orage masters and got to compete in that as well and that was like the essence of competing it was just like 
goofing off and having fun and I was like what what am I doing like worrying about what score my run is getting in the half pipe like I just want to go out and do what feels good to me and and do things on my skis that bring me like a feeling of joy and half pipe just got to the point where it it was still fun and it was still skiing but it wasn't really bringing me that joy that I wanted to feel from being on a pair of skis and doing what feels good on a pair of skis you know yeah. so that I, I guess that's kind of my tangent there about half pipe skiing yeah but it's I still follow it like religiously because I still have friends that compete and uh what one of my favorite guys to watch ski in the half pipe his name's Noah Bowman and he's a, a guy he's about my age he's I think a year younger than I am 29 but we grew up skiing together and competing together kind of thing and we're still good buddies to this day so I always try and follow him and see what he's up to but he's stayed really true to sort of his path in half pipe skiing and that's doing stylish runs skiing backwards in the half pipe and he's amazing to watch if you if I'm sure you know of him, but yeah. he, he might be another guy to bring on the show. If you want to talk to a competitive half bite skier that, that's still doing it. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely be out of my depth because I don't know. I hardly know the first thing about half pipe. I'm actually learning it through my guests. So that would be, that'd be a good, a good thing to explore. Yeah, for sure. He's, he's a, another nice Canadian guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when did you get linked up with the traveling circus then? Cause there, easy to say they're not really in the world of half pipe skiing yeah for sure um oh man that's that's tough i i used to ski for a company that was called surface skis and they were they were based out of uh, salt lake city and they had a really really cool team back in the day it was kind of all these like tight pant rock and roll skier guys and that they it, it was really really fun to ski for them and get to meet a lot of their team and we, it was a smaller company, so um, it was really neat to have input into ski designs and, and product feedback and stuff like that. But I, I think I was spending a lot of time like going down to visit them in Salt Lake City, and some, you know, somehow along the journey of traveling around and, and skiing half pipe and uh, bouncing back and forth down to the states a little bit, I, I think that's where I connected with um, with Line. It would have been that I think there was a few years there where I was seeing if it would be possible to find a, a ski surface was kind of a little, little bit on their way out in terms of like being able to, you know, give you enough money to put a bit of gas in your tank and stuff like that to get around and, and go skiing. And um, I was sort of, sort of looking around elsewhere to see if, if there's somebody else I could ski for. So, you know, I, this was in the day that you, you had a little, you know, sponsor me DVD and a few photos you get printed out and you'd put them in an envelope and put them in the mail kind of thing. So I think I sent one of those over to Jason Leventhal at, at Line and uh, his uh, fellow that he worked with really closely at Line, um, who ended up becoming the global marketing manager. His name's Josh Malchek. And uh, I connected with with Jason and Josh and we we kind of started talking and the first pair of twin tip skis I ever had as a, you know, 12, 12 year old kid probably were, were a set of line skis. So they, I'd always kind of been watching what they were up to and they always had the coolest team. And th this was like back when it, the team was Eric Pollard and Skogan Sprang and Mike Wilson. And 
I don't, these are all there. You probably know who Pollard is, but the, all the Mike, Nick, like these guys are all, all the old boys that used to ski for line. And, and a few of them started on the ski boards that line used to make the little like snowblade skis sort of thing. Cause that was, that went through its, you know, paces in the East, I think in park skiing, like that was, that was definitely a fad for a while. And um, yeah, so I'd always followed line since day one and thought it would be, it, it, they were just such a core ski company. And I always thought that, it, you know, they made really sweet skis and that it would be really cool to get involved with them somehow. So one thing led to another. And next thing you know, I, I was skiing, skiing for line. And I think it just kind of evolved naturally that I met, I think, Will and Andy out in Whistler in the summertime. Um, I used to coach skiing up there up on the glacier when they used to run summer camps on, on the Hortzman Glacier up there on Blackcomb. And uh, Will and Andy, I think, you know, came out for a line week or something like that at ski ski camp. And I kind of connected with them and, and uh, just kind of started filming with them from there. We, we, we all had fun skiing together and uh, it was a good group dynamic. Like I said, with, you know, friends passing off the camera and taking turns filming. And that's kind of what I always liked. And that's what drew me towards working with, with those guys for sure. Nice. And so had you ever um, like been in that sort of living you know, like that, I don't know what the the months were that Traveling Circus would film, whether it be full season, beginning season, end of season, but were you used to, you know, kind of living on the road like that and bouncing from place to place constantly? Those guys were definitely more like road trip warriors than, that, than I was, but because they, you know, they did seasons and seasons just kind of in that van cruising around, like from coast to coast sort of thing filming in all the different parks across America sort of thing. And I think, you know, they'd pop up to Canada the odd time to visit Max Hill or something like that. But um, I, I've done a few van road trips with them, but I, I was really lucky. I kind of was the guy, just cause I was a bit out of the way to come pick up. I'd always get to go on the trips that uh, we'd, we, you know, we'd fly somewhere and usually rent a van or RV or something like that, wherever we'd go. So it, we did a few really fun trips to Japan all together. And uh, we did a really weird trip to the UK to uh, ski in all the indoor ski areas there, like the giant freezers sort of thing that build a park, you know, one night a week. So the, all those international trips were like, were so fun to do with those guys. And it's just, yeah, a good, they're a good crew to be on the road with. And good, good dynamic. Everybody gets along well and uh, it, fun guys to travel with, really, really fun guys to shoot with. And obviously like everybody's always pushing each other and motivating each other to, to try new things and, uh, and just have fun on your skis sort of thing is the main goal when it comes down to it. Yeah. And so you mentioned that like in Canada, it's pretty normal to pick between like hockey or skiing and like in the States, it's totally like not the case. Like skiing, if there's another skier, you know, this is probably different for like more states that are cold consistently, but um, like in Connecticut for sure. And I know that Andy and Will have mentioned this, like there's another skier in your high school, like you're probably going to be friends with them. And so like in Canada. That was definitely the same here. You know, like I, there's a kid that I'm still really good friends with to this day. He's not a kid anymore, but you know, he, I think he came into class in grade, I think it was in grade nine and he moved to out, out West from Nova Scotia and he had a bunch of 
ski sticker. I think he had a line ski sticker or like a cyber cartel or some really niche ski brand sticker on his binder. And uh, we, we ended up, you know, making best friends right away sort of thing, just because we had that connection of skiing. So I think it definitely still draws kids together. And it's just, it's really free skiing is like such a small niche sport when it comes down to it. And you, you know that like you're, you do stuff for the NFL, like the, just the amount of viewership that those big American sports have uh, versus like a niche core sport, like free skiing, it's, it's like such a drastic difference in terms of just people that even know what it is. So I, I mean, I still find that skiers connect like that to this day. And I, I hope it's still the same way with kids. Cause uh, it's, I, I don't know, you all share something really fun that you're passionate about in common that you have a huge love for. So I think it's a pretty easy common ground to come together on and connect and, uh, and, you know, even whether it spurs conversations in other directions it's just cool to cool to meet people that are on the same wavelength you know yeah yeah and so by the time that you were around traveling circus had you, had you already had enough experience being completely surrounded by skiers being on the half pipe circuit or was that like the first time in your career where you're like oh like this is great i'm surrounded by you know freestyle skiers all the time you know like we're usually the odd ducks no i think i think like you said well skiing is yeah it's so small and and yeah when I was kind of growing up and coming up in the in the industry like you had to be well-rounded you know so it wasn't I'd never felt like I was in this niche with half pipe skiing like you're definitely seeing the same people but you know that the ability to travel with that and and go to different ski hills and like ride different parks and ski different mountains and stuff like that you're not you're not skiing the half pipe the whole time. I mean, the worst part about skiing half pipe was on the way down to your, when you were training and like doing pipe runs, you couldn't hit rails on the way down because, you know, you had to keep your, your edges sharp for skiing in the pipe. And I, I you know, it, it was pretty hard to ski past the, the rails and, and not slide them on the way down to the pipe usually. So that, that was definitely a challenge. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think you're always, it's just a small enough community and, and there's, you know, so there's like so few people in the industry, really, when it comes down to it, in comparison to a really big sport, there's a, like a lot of really rad people in the ski industry. And, and that's what makes it sweet. You know, you don't, you don't get like the, the bullshit that I think you probably get from uh, in, in other sports sort of thing. But you do, it's so small that you're all just kind of you end up all being a bit of a family in a weird way because you share skiing in common and I think it brings everybody together and everybody ends up meeting each other eventually just because of skiing and and uh your, your love for it so yeah of course so um from my perspective and you could correct me if I'm wrong um when you first came on to tr like the scene with Traveling Circus um you know they the way they do they introduce their like oh you know this is one of the new guys like this check out rob and then almost immediately you released um meanwhile in canada is that like approximate timeline is that lining up yeah i think i think that lines up pretty well um that sort of delves back into your road or like van life and road trip and rv question um 
those were those we made two films the first one the first year was called meanwhile in canada and it was um we were able to make that with the support of north face who've really helped me out a lot over the years and uh they they said you know what rob like we we had a we pitched them the idea of doing this big road trip across canada from coast to coast sort of thing and skiing along the way and they were they they were receptive to it and they said you know what here's here's some budget to go do this project and make this film so we rented an rv in in vancouver and drove it all the way to halifax in the middle of you know cold canadian winter january february sort of thing and uh froze our asses off and skied in every major city across canada sort of thing and and then put together a, a film like that summer after we or actually i think we put it together right away after we got back from the trip because i i remember like going back to vancouver and just like sitting in front of a computer for two weeks trying to get this thing done and put on the internet sort of thing and uh yeah so that that was definitely like a big road trip experience and you know living in a, a vehicle for a, a month sort of thing with three other guys and uh <laughs> that yeah like that definitely probably prepared me for what to expect with traveling circus and and what those guys were all about so i think we were definitely kind of on the same same program after we made that meanwhile in canada film so it was probably like a, a, this natural friendship that was meant to happen sort of thing of like-minded people so yeah that's awesome I, I that is one of my favorite ski movies ever it's just it's just a, it's just such great vibes from the whole thing you know I don't know if it's even on the internet anymore because uh, you know YouTube started to take everything down if you used used uh, music that you didn't have rights to, and I think we we tried to use like all Canadian music for that because it was a a Canadian project sort of thing, but it may not exist. Maybe it's on New Schoolers or something like that. But I feel like Vimeo probably pulled it down from my page just because because uh, there was probably some copyright infringement or something like that. Oh, but totally. now you know nowadays i know that you know with the projects i do the you, you have to have the budget set aside to be able to buy music from the artists and it, it's really cool to be able to support people whose music you want to use as well in, in a video project because it kind of becomes this cool creative bubble of, of you doing the video and then i i always feel like the music and or sounds that people select to go with with their skiing really uh really helps you know tie it all together totally so it is on new schoolers and i gotta say this okay yeah it's still there <laughs> yeah well it used like nine copyrighted songs so i'm not surprised that it's taken down off youtube so that year that you that you know you're linked up with tc um you're making meanwhile in canada that you must have been thinking like damn things are going great right now like super busy people uh paying you to ski even if it's not much which i'm assuming it's never yeah, you, it's never much. It's always just been enough to you know put put gas in the tank and make another make another video and maybe put some beer in the fridge and food on the table you know but uh yeah like that that was definitely sweet because that's kind of when i started to step away from half pipe skiing i would say like fully you know putting that on the back burner and really focusing on on trying to film more and uh you know like make a video part at the end of the year sort of thing like i'd always sort of balance the pipe skiing with also you know trying to film 
film a, a video part throughout the year. But um, that meanwhile in Canada year uh, was definitely kind of the first year that I decided to take on things for myself and not not necessarily like film with another production company or or um, well no that that I take that back I take this is my one take back I'm I'm just trying to like fully remember the timeline here but I think yeah me, meanwhile in Canada was definitely like when I was yeah had put half pipe skiing on the back burner and really started focusing on working on my own video project and you know skiing a lot in the city and and skiing street rails and uh skiing a lot of parks so so rad to have the you know support of north face for that project because they without them there was not a chance that five five guys were renting an r like five ski bums were renting an rv and driving across the country like it just you know it, it wouldn't have happened and it, it, that was that trip was phenomenal like anybody who's Canadian or American, you should drive across your own country and, and see, see what it's like from east to or west to east or east to west, whichever way you want to go. But uh, it's, it's definitely a trip that I think young, young people should do, whether it's in a vehicle or on a bicycle or walking or on a bus or on the back of a train, like however you want to get across, do it, do it in your style. But that's kind of what worked for us. And, and, you know, we, ended up with a cool cool video that we can watch for for years to come and hopefully obviously other people are still enjoying which is is great to hear so yeah and just the editing in it is so it was so it was just such a playful movie you know we but, did a lot of i think we did a lot of hand-drawn animations and yes. stuff like that for for that film so that that was a cool element to tie into it as well and one guy who I, another guy who you could maybe get on the show that's also a, a line skier, his name's Sammy Ortlib, and he's he's a, a good Swiss friend of mine. And uh, Sammy Sammy does some really amazing animation animation work in his films, and then also that's kind of his profession as well. So, wow, yeah. So, so that was sponsored by North Face. You said that was a part of a two parter. Was that was the second half called Ski the North? Yeah, the second second year, you know, we kind of followed that up. We we drove west to east the the first year, and we were like, well, what are we going to do this year? So we drove not fully south to north and back, but we drove from Vancouver up to Whitehorse, which is like pretty far north in Canada. It's uh, in the a territory called the Yukon, and uh, the the Yukon is. Pretty, pretty much as far north as people live in a city in Canada sort of thing. So um, we decided to do the same thing, take the same structure, rent an RV and go on a road trip and sort of see what happens and document it. And I've always found that to be a great model for, for just, you know, you, you make some loose plans. Well, you make solid plans in terms of your where you depart from your destination and your means of transport from getting between the two, but the rest is kind of up in the air and you sort of let it happen as it, as it happens. And you, you know, you have time to experience the, all the things that you do on a road trip sort of thing. So I think I, I really like that format for travel and, and ski filming because I, I, I think it, leaves a lot up in the air. I mean, now I'm kind of more driven to do more conceptual pieces and things with a lot more thought, but I think as 
as somebody who was new to to trying to make a you know it wasn't a full-length ski film but like a half-length ski film I would say that was a really good stepping stone to start with to to sort of make a film and not have a lot of like conceptual elements that came into it and and just starting off you know you, you film whatever happens and it happens and and usually you have a really good time sometimes you have a bad time but most of the, the times are good so yeah. yeah that I would say that's kind of what I took away from those two films meanwhile in Canada and Ski the North was uh it was a really good stepping stone for me to sort of start working on a project that I was in charge of and sort of had creative direction over and um just kind of like dip my toes in the water there sort of thing yeah well if you have a copy of ski the north please text it to me because that sounds awesome i wasn't able to find it online and uh dude i just loved meanwhile in canada so much so i'd love to see like the follow-up to it that'd be that'd be super sick i think i think it's maybe i think it's maybe gone off the internet too just because again we didn't have rights for the music or anything but I'll, I'll I'll find you a link to it or, or I know I have it on an old hard drive somewhere so I'll either get it back up on my page which will probably get taken down again or I'll if you if you want send me anybody who's listening send me an email and I'll I'll send you a link so you can download it that'd be awesome so I don't know how how soon after it was like how, how soon after you did those projects that you started going to Switzerland but um the Glacier Days series was also like super creative and you worked with Sammy on that. So like kind of tying those two elements together. So how did you end up skiing out in Switzerland? Um, I, I've definitely gone for some long trips. Like, you know, I'd usually go over in the spring and then back again in the summer to do uh, Glacier Days with Sammy. But Sammy and I actually met each other back in the day. His Sammy has a brother whose name is Dave and Dave and I used to ski half pipe together. So, you know, at, I think I was over in, at Lax in Switzerland for the European Open and, and Dave and I met each other and I was kind of bumming around and I had some nights of accommodation at a, at a hostel uh, in Lax and that had kind of run out, but I was still trying to stay for a few more days. So Dave and Sammy's parents, Percy and Felix, they're like my, my Swiss parents. They um they invited me to come stay at their little condo that they had rented because Sammy and Dave were up there doing the contest as well, sort of thing. So originally I kind of really connected with Dave and just sort of knew Sammy as, as Dave's younger brother. And uh and then when I started skiing for line, Sammy was that was kind of when he started skiing for line as well. And we we ended up connecting uh just because we we'd met each other those years back sort of thing and we we reconnected through traveling circus and uh we went over to switzerland and filmed a couple episodes over there in the springtime uh in switzerland and italy sort of thing and that's kind of how how i ended up really connecting with sammy and and we ended up having this this awesome like cross country or cross like the globe friendship sort of thing that uh that we've had over the years and um yeah, I, I think that that Glacier Days series that that was all sort of Sammy's idea because he'd been back and forth with uh, the ski hill in Zermatt. There, it's called what is it called actually? I'm not. I don't think I can remember the name off the top of my head. It's like 
Zermatt Glacier Parrot, or no, what is it called? I'll, I'll have to look it up. I'm, I don't know. We'll just call it Zermatt. But yeah, Sammy was really involved with being back and forth with Zermatt to, to sort of get some funding for this summer ski project that he really wanted to do because Zermatt was kind of like the, the Whistler glacier skiing of Switzerland, I feel like, where there was, you know, like big summer ski infrastructure up there. And when there wasn't snow anywhere else to go ski or lifts to ride anywhere else, people would kind of go over there and, and ski up on the glacier there. So um, we, we were able to go up there and, uh, and sort of have a bit of creative direction in the terrain park up there and work with the, the shapers in the park and build features that, that everybody was kind of like on the same wavelength for and just had a couple of really, really fun summers of skiing up there and, and working with the guys who ran the park up there to, to help build cool features. And, you know, as we'd film, film throughout the day sort of thing, but we'd also help out in, in the afternoons and like reshape features and like we were, essentially diggers up there like making the park good so that tomorrow people could come shredded as well so it, it was fun to work on the the video side of things and then also put in a, a bit of sweat into that park and uh, sort of make it your own and and feel like you were giving back a little bit to the terrain park and community up there yeah so like in between these these big projects that you're working on what are you doing uh, to pay the bills? Like, are you picking up just random jobs or, or do you secretly have like a, a, like a straight lace side of you, like running throughout this whole thing? Uh, I've always, I mean, I've always made it work with like finding enough money to be able to make it through the winter. You know, it cut, you kind of top up the bank account in the summer, whether it's, I think I started, you know, straight out of high school, working a landscaping job in the summer sort of things. And, and and then that landscape job ended up coming to an end because I went to work up on the glacier in Whistler coaching skiing. So that was always like a really good month of good income and still being able to spend time on your skis was, was working up at Camp of Champions there and coaching. Um, so I did that for a lot of years. And then, um, in, in the more recent years, I have every fall, I've worked a job in the city in Calgary, hanging Christmas lights in people's trees and on their houses. So that that's a good two months of like pretty high paying work just because it's it's like pretty big risk climbing up on people's snowy roofs and, and up their big spruce trees and stuff like that. So people are willing to spend a lot of money to have their Christmas lights set up for them and try and out, outdo the neighbors, you know, cause you always have to have better, better Christmas lights than your neighbors. So people are spend a silly amount of money on that. So that's always a nice little top, top up for the bank account before ski season rolls around. Um, and then I, I also run a small business as well, doing um, a lot of sewing work. So I, I design and manufacture clothing and outdoor gear and stuff like that. And originally that kind of started as making backpacks. I used to, I used to recycle old blue jeans uh, that I would find in thrift stores and take them apart and put them back together as, as these backpacks that were, they were more of like a school bag or a, a city bag sort of thing and not super technical, but that sort of venture allowed me really to 
sort of dabble with designing something and and doing a bit of like repurposing and recycling and stuff like that to turn an old thing into something new. So learning how to design and and you know make patterns and stuff like that and everything I do nowadays on my business side of things it's called called rad packs. It's still still called packs. I haven't dropped the packs yet. I think it's a bit confusing for people though because I don't make backpacks anymore, but that that backpack side of things kind of evolved into making more clothing and outdoor gear and like things things that I was using on a daily basis sort of thing I, I wasn't you know I got to the point where I I spend a lot my days these days kind of skiing skiing in the backcountry and kind of going out on the snowmobile or on my on my skins for a few days into cabins and stuff like that and and uh, you know, when you have a, a cotton backpack made out of jeans on your back, it's maybe not the most functional thing to have out there. So that kind of became, you know, making things with more technical fabrics and gear that I could use in my kind of day-to-day adventures in the wintertime. Um, or products that I really liked and saw, you know, a place that I could improve that that is, I think, big as well for me is is making things better and improving design and and uh, working to make sort of the best functional product you can out of the best materials made in Canada in a, like high quality fashion sort of thing. Yeah, cool. And like, so I, I've watched some of your recent projects on Vimeo. Then I mean, when I'm talking recent, I'm saying like uh, probably past two years and the Japan one that you made, um, that was one of the most unique edits I've ever seen. It's just like entirely, I don't even know if you could really call it a ski edit because it was more like a, like a montage of photos. So is that slide like, show. yeah, it's like basically a slideshow. That's what they call it, a slideshow. Yeah. <laughs> so is that kind of the realm that you're moving into is just, um, you know, like projects that, that are by you with like your own creative slant to them, or are you still, you know, working with sponsors to, to make and execute on these bigger projects? Yeah, I, I definitely am still like that. That was definitely a bit of a passion project. The Japan slideshow video that I made, it was, I'll, I'll answer your question in two parts sort of thing that that's always been a big passion of mine is uh, shooting, shooting 35 millimeter photos, like with little, point and shoot film cameras or SLRs or I've just always had this kind of love for analog photography. I think I was meant to be born probably like 20 or 30 years before I was born sort of thing and live maybe in like the 70s or the 80s. (laughs) But lucky me, I was born in the 90s. And I, I just am, I have this weird infatuation with things in my life that are from that era sort of thing so like 70s 80s 90s sort of thing so I've always been really into film photography and um that Japan project that or slideshow that we I created with a a high school friend of mine we we went on a trip with our girlfriend sort of thing to Japan and we're like kind of a close group of four friends that they introduced uh my girlfriend and I and and so we like to travel with them quite a lot so we flew over there and I I think I bought like 20 rolls of film or something like that before we flew over. And I gave 10 to my buddy, John, and 10 to me. And I was like, 
John, just shoot as many photos as you can over there and try, like we sort of had a few foundations for what we wanted to try and do and, and what we wanted to try and capture throughout our trip. But it was pretty loose in the sense that it was just two dudes that were let loose with two photo cameras just to shoot as many pictures as they could. And then we kind of worked to piece them together in, in a way that sort of like flowed in the way that we felt our trip trip flowed over there. And I mean, Japan is, that's a whole nother conversation, but I feel like Japan is so chaotic when you're in, in the big cities and there's so much going on and it's so foreign, but then you can go into the mountains and, and get on a pair of skis and you're back to like something that's totally familiar to you. And you're in these beautiful, like deciduous forests with deep pow. And it's just like this moment of like clarity and Zen and like just pure bliss really. So we kind of try to make that film flow in that sense of like traveling around Japan and going to cities and going to the mountains and back and forth and just having the it sort of ramp up and and then like calm out and lull out. And we I was able to find some cool music for that. It, it's um it actually it's like Japanese surf rock is the genre of track we used for that piece. So it ended up working really well to create this like kind of like ebb and flow and and just like a bit of a roller coaster of the feelings you feel when you're over there. So that was kind of the premise for for that Japan video. And then yeah, that that was definitely a, a passion project, but that's I feel like every project that I try and involve myself in within skiing or on a personal level like you have to be invested in it you know like it takes a lot of I think creative energy to to create a unique ski project these days or film or whatever it might be whether it's you know skiing or surfing or snowboarding or skateboarding like there's so many cool creative people out there that are that are you know, putting their minds to work and whether it's just you on your own or you and three other people sort of working together to develop a concept and turn that into a reality and, and, and document it and then get it out there for other people to see. I think it's a huge team effort. So it, it takes like, there's so many moving parts, you know, first you need to, you have to have a concept. So that's like a bunch of brainstorming and like, just coming up with an original idea and concept. And then from there, you kind of, you need to find funding to make that a reality and actually make it possible. Cause as much as you'd like to spend all your life savings and money out of, you know, you're from working to try and make this dream a reality. Like sometimes it's, it takes, it takes backing from a brand or something like that to, to be able to do these projects because a lot of times it's just beyond the scope of, of what you can personally contribute. Like you're, you're already stretching yourself thin, like putting in this, this creative input and energy and stuff like that. And often not receiving any kind of compensation for it. Like it's totally a, a passion and like something you love to do. Right. And that's the reason you're doing it. So if you can find a few, few dollars to be able to cover your travel expenses or, um, just like production expenses, that's obviously a big part of it as well. So I think that relationship between, you know, finding people that are on the same wavelength to work with and finding a, a 
financial backer in the in the form of a ski brand to work with um and having those two unite and create a video project that's like the dream situation you know and i i've been so lucky to find myself in those situations and a part of them and like able to to create this really cool final product just based on a lot of people coming together and and pooling resources and and making something special for other people to watch and get excited about because that's that's always been my thing is I want to make videos that are relatable and and make people want to go out and ski and have fun and and just go out with their friends and have a blast on their skis because when it comes down to it that's like all that's all that matters you know whether you're making a video or not like you should just be going out and skiing and and it should be for for you and the sensation it gives you and what that how that enriches your life and allows you to like give that back in in other parts of your life sort of thing is that's my philosophy <laughs> and so like um just looking at because you've been involved with some great projects so like if you were to give advice um for you know get, like kids and you know at any age actually that like want to make a ski project like this how do you secure funding is it a pre-existing sponsor that you're like you already have a relationship with or or do you ever just like cold call companies and like hey i'm doing this project do you want to be on board like what's your approach or what are, what approaches have you seen work successfully to get funding for these things i i think either way could potentially work i mean for me i've always worked with um my sponsors or friend sponsors kind of thing to try try and make it happen and i think those relate you could think of it like i feel like if you just cold call somebody for to be like hey do you have this amount of money to support this film project it's sort of like it's sort of like a one night stand sort of thing whereas i feel like you when you're working with your existing sponsors it's like this amazing relationship where you know you get to work together year after year kind of thing and and get to know people and like get to really you can really be like proud of your accomplishments at that point so that's kind of always been the way that works for me but I think if you have a really great idea and you want to pitch it to a big brand or small brand or or somebody I, I yeah I don't know a big brand or small brand or whoever it may be I think that's a totally viable way of doing it. Like if you're, if you are confident in your idea and you think that it has, you know, material value for the person you're pitching it to like have at her, I, I think that's, that would be a, a great way to go too. And I'm sure a lot of partnerships have started that way, but yeah, for me, it's always just kind of been working with the people I know and, and uh, kind of like continuing those relationships and furthering them sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and do you come prepared with like a pitch deck or like a general outline or are you just like just verbally I mean, back, like, hey, I I like back, in, back in the day it was probably a lot looser than it is now I think people people expect that kind of thing nowadays but I, I would always try and have like some like some way to present a concept or idea or you know video or what, whatever it might be to somebody who's interested in it to, to help them understand and give them a feel of what the final product's going to feel like, or, you know, I, I think it helps a lot if you have sort of almost like a portfolio or sort of not like 
not resume, but it, I think it definitely helps if you can, you have something that already speaks for itself and then you can, can build off that. So I feel like over the years I've been able to, to create something that speaks for itself and then kind of build on, build on a concept or build on that previous idea and, and sort of take it one step further sort of thing. So that, that's kind of been a way that's always worked for me. You, you definitely, you know, I think if you just go in, like it, obviously everything starts is just, just talking, but you definitely want to put in your time and, and um, create something that helps people have an understanding for what your thought process is and what your big idea is sort of thing. Mm. And so what about now? Do you have any, uh, any projects on the back burner that you're, or maybe even on the front burner? Like, what are you working on lately that, uh, that's getting you excited? Sammy and I are actually working on a video right now. Uh, we we decided maybe eight months ago, sort of thing, like back in the winter, that we wanted to try and create a video together. We've we've done a few things in the like years past that we've had a really good time working together on, um, and that I don't don't want to dive into those. But right now, we're the two of us are we kind of throughout the pandemic, we felt like we were a little bit isolated in our own bubbles, being like skiers that are used to being able to, you know, you, you can hop in your, your car or hop, hop on a flight and like get over here and get over there and, and just like get to where you want to be and not be limited by the constraints of a global pandemic sort of thing. So that, I think that was big for, for the ski industry was like a lot of people were kind of in place and like exploring more around home which was such a, a blessing in disguise because that that first year of the pandemic was it was last winter so I took that spring to work on a project that was like fully based in Alberta and just exploring my backyard sort of thing and that basically we filmed a video that was a combination of uh, skiing and surfing so the idea behind it was that we would ski on the same precipitation twice sort of thing. So we'd ski on the frozen precipitation in the mountains. And then in the springtime, obviously the sun comes out, melts all the snow and that melts into the rivers. And then another big passion of mine is, is river surfing. So surfing in the rivers on these standing waves. So the idea was to sort of ride the same precipitation twice. So it, it's based around riding the same precipitation twice, skiing and surfing in Alberta, and the feeling of making turns on skis and on a surfboard. And for that reason, just because it's really about turning, we called it left, right, left. So it's sort of, yeah, sort of like just a play on, you know, turning left, turning right, and repeating sort of thing. So that, that was kind of pandemic project number one. And then Sammy and I were like, man, we're used to going on a ski trip every year together. And that's like not something we want to give up or, or like lose that tradition. So we were like trying to come up with this way that we could work on a project together from two different locations and still feel like we ended up with this final product that made it feel like we went on a ski trip together. So what we're working on right now is uh, it's in collaboration with line and we decided we wanted to make a video about 
the ski that both of us are pretty jazzed on skiing on these days. That's a really fun ski. It's called the Line Pescado. And it's uh, it's the ski that Line makes. It's like definitely designed as a powder ski and it has a, a swallowtail on it, which kind of defines it and makes it stand out from a lot of other skis. And it's, yeah, Sammy and I both have a blast skiing on the ski. I won't dive into the any details on the ski but it's rad and if you hop on a pair you will fall in love with them instantly and so Sammy and I are making a video that's based around um, skiing on the Pescado uh, from two different locations Canada and Switzerland but it's gonna kind of like I won't spoil it too much but there's gonna be a lot of interaction between us skiing together even though we filmed it in two totally separate locations. So there's a lot of like tie together that will make it feel like the two of us are skiing in the same place when really we're like across the globe from each other. So that's kind of the premise of, of that project, but it's gonna come out sometime this fall. We've been been uh, taking our time to put it together and not slacking, but uh, just taking our time and making sure that it's exactly what we want. So I think, yeah, like that's definitely another big thing in the projects I try and involve myself in. I try and like definitely go all in and really make sure it's something that I'm true to doing and passionate about. And I think if you go in with that drive and determination, you're bound to end up with a final product that at least you're really happy with and hopefully other people enjoy as well. Yeah, that sounds super sick. Okay. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. I'm excited to see it as much as you are because it's uh it's definitely a work in progress right now. But we we're just kind of like starting to put footage together and uh, and and make it happen. So, do you have a bucket list, um, like project in the back of your mind? Like, wow, I would love to, I would love to make this if only I had the money or if only you know I had the person to do it with X Y and Z. Like, is there something in the back of your mind that that you're like, okay, maybe one day we can make this happen. Or do you generally pursue whatever oh, you want to do? I might have to get back to you on that. A crazy idea with limitless budget and all my best friends. That sounds amazing. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like if you could, if you could make a video with all your best friends and, and uh, go anywhere in the world you wanted, that, that'd be phenomenal. But Unfortunately, I think we live in a world where you are, you do have constraints these days and especially, you know, financial constraints too. I, it gets expensive to start hopping on airplanes and stuff like that. So I think my, yeah, biggest thing right now is I, I just want to, I just want to make, yeah, relatable content that people can like take some inspiration from and go out and want to have a good time on their skis um but also something that's meaningful to me and and tells a bit of a story about either me personally or my friends or people that I share the love for skiing with and I I, I yeah I mean I just really I do love being in Canada that the pandemic like as much as I I do like to travel and go explore and see see friends in other parts of the world like I feel really, really grateful to live in Canada and in, in a place that, you know, I have access to these beautiful mountains where it snows a lot in the winter time and and that can be our playground. Like that's I just want to keep enjoying my time on this earth doing 
doing that in a place that I really love to do it. And I think that's kind of the, the major end goal is just like longevity in skiing and spending time on your skis and doing something that brings you so much joy. I don't think it's a film project with a $2 million budget. I think it's like just taking every day as it comes and being able to go out and ski another day. That's like, that's what brings me the ultimate satisfaction, I'd say. That's awesome. And so I think that's a good, good way to finish off the, the interview portion and move into, um, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a game show, but it's a game I'd like to play with you since me in Canada was like really my first introduction to, to all the Canadian provinces. So at, so I live in the United States. So I was wondering if you could go through the provinces and give us like a quick, like, just your first thought, because I don't know anything about these provinces. So like when I say British Columbia, for example, what is like the first thing that pops in your mind? Mm, just forest, I would say forest. <laughs> it's like, there's so many beautiful old growth trees there and just like beautiful wilderness. I would, yeah, probably wilderness. Then you get Alberta. Yep. Alberta is like, uh, just like Western, like Wild West. It's sort of like Montana, because we're north of Montana, so it's a lot like Montana. It's like where the where the prairies meet the Rockies. So I would say like Wild West. Saskatchewan? Uh, it's just flat. Sure. Then you have Manitoba, which is also flat. And then you have Ontario, which, well, what did I say for Ontario? My girlfriend's from Ontario, so I better speak wisely here. Um, Ontario, Ontario is like, I feel like the America of Canada, just because so much of the border, I would just say like American in a sense, because it's it, a lot of it runs along the US border with like a lot of major cities, like it starts to get so condensed in there, you know, like if you go down to Southern Ontario, you're right near Detroit and you're right near like all those big cities in, is that considered Midwest? Yeah exactly yeah yeah like you're near all those big cities in the in the midwest sort of thing so i think there's a lot of influence that like goes across the border there yep and then you have quebec or quebec uh just like icy because whenever i've skied there it's just been so icy in the parks and like it's really awesome but it's cold actually quebec i would say maple syrup because you can't do a list of canada without mentioning maple syrup that's my favorite food top breakfast topping and also second favorite beverage next to beer <laughs> <laughs> and then you got so then you have what i've heard described as the maritimes which is new brunswick nova yeah, scotia yeah. and prince edward island oh let's do the maritimes as a whole and i would say just like the hardy the the people who live out there in the culture is like super hardy you know i feel like braving those storms in the winter on the east coast is pretty rugged and and uh yeah i think everybody who lives out there has a bit of a story to tell and is just like a character you know that they, they all definitely have their own story and reasons for living where they live and i would say they're very hardy people i like that uh yeah newfoundland yeah, totally. and labrador that's like the farthest east you can go in canada and they speak really funny out there and sound like crazy people. Um, but I 
I actually really want to go out to Newfoundland and try and ski and surf out there and do a little ski surf project because it's kind of like East Coast, a little more unexplored. I feel like the West is getting a little blown out these days with just like tourists and I don't know, people like it's obviously amazing and people go there for a reason, but I think it'd be cool to go explore the East and uh, do some skiing and surfing out there. And then and then for the, the territories up North, I would just say, I would just say like cold yeah. <laughs> and like dark, cold and dark. You know, they get, I mean, the summers up there would be so amazing because you get these super, super long days, right? Because you the, the sun never really goes down because just at the latitude you're at. But um, the, the winters would be just like so cold and long up there. They're really lucky though. They get the Northern Lights up there, which are super beautiful. Like watching those Northern Lights is, is pretty special if you get the chance to do it yeah well there there is canada according to rob and i thought i thought that was only appropriate since yeah. Yeah. you are the most canadian of the canadians that i've had on nice that that's awesome well it was it was great chatting with you that's a that's a compliment in in my books <laughs> absolutely yeah so that is all i have for today thank you very much for coming on man it was uh great to get back into the swing of things with you and uh you're a cool dude yeah, thank, thanks for having me, Ethan. It was fun to join in on your podcast and I wish you wish you all the best with it. And uh, it'll be, I'll have to tune in and listen to some of your other guests you have on. I, I can't wait to hear, hear what it becomes and uh, best of luck to you, my friend. I may go out to Alberta Weather's good there in the fall Got some friends that I 